1: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello. My name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, guys. And you're listening to Spaces Podcasts. Thank you again for joining us, everyone. Thank you for coming back. One quick announcement before we get started. We're conducting a little survey, which you can find on, find a direct link on our website or on the social media sites. Uh, There's a link that goes directly to that survey. It's really short, about uh, seven questions should take you like less than uh, less than a minute. So if you could help us out, fill out that survey, we're just trying to get an idea of who our listeners are. And other than that we'll uh, we'll get started. Today we are discussing skyscrapers. Uh, but before we jump into that, we're gonna catch up and and see how the couple weeks have been for everybody. Uh, Michelle, how has your your week and weekend been since since we spoke last?
2: Good. Uh, my weekend was actually filled with a lot of physical activity. Um, I recently <laughs> started cycling again, so oh. it's been probably four years since I've been on a bike. Nice. Um,
1: cycling as in like on the road? On the
2: road, yes. Oh, okay. So I, I should correct myself. I've been on a bike many times in the last four years, but not uh, fully outfitted and, uh, you know, clipped in and Yeah going down the road uh, at fast paces. So I actually started doing that again last week. Uh, So I've been on two group rides, and Saturday we did 32 miles. Oh, my God. Uh, And then yesterday, which was Sunday, uh, we did a nine-mile hike, which was kind of a lot.
1: A nine-mile hike. uh, On foot. Yeah.
2: Yes, through Crystal Cove State Park
1: uh were you did you bike there and then hike or no. just okay we,
2: we walked or excuse me we drove parked and then walked um or hiked uh the 9 miles through the park and we basically chose if you look at the park map uh we did the strenuous hike
1: nice yeah i got two things for you okay so one uh we have this process for those that aren't in the industry um, of when you submit, when you're planning to, to build a building, uh, you submit drawings to uh, the planning department of the city, and that's called the entitlement process. Uh, so they're looking more for design-oriented things, and then uh, you move to the building department, and that's when they're looking for actual construction uh, issues to comment on. Um, all leading up to you getting a permit to build uh, whatever the building is. And in our industry, you know, the builder, uh, developer, is usually trying to kind of keep pace with a project. So sometimes they jump the gun to try and keep the project pace going and kind of green light construction documents to start. And one of two things usually end up happening. There's either a fairly big change from the city Uh, they don't like something so you have to go back and uh, add something new to the design or whatever the case may be or uh, within the the builder developers company there's several people that have opinions about the project Uh, and at some point someone finally looks at it that wants to change something so there's these dramatic changes that uh, you end up having to make and in I completely understand the reasoning for it uh, to to try and keep the project moving and potentially, you know, cut as much time off of the project as possible. But in my opinion, I think you end up with more issues on the back end and opportunities for errors in the drawings, especially with AutoCAD and um, those kind of two-dimensional drawings where you have to chase Little things like uh, detail references and dimension strings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it just creates more of an opportunity for error. Kind of one of those things that I've been frustrated with and trying to figure out a way to, you know, promote a more streamlined process. And I know you were mentioning, Michelle, kind of off mic, that that's one of the things that you try to avoid with the work that you do.
2: Definitely. The challenge is always going to be that projects mold and shape continuously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the market evolves, there may be changes that need to be implemented or as, you know, as community stakeholders get further involved, there may be changes, whether it's elevation changes or the moving of a window so that you address privacy concerns. I know we typically try to avoid situations, you know. Speaking as a developer, we try to avoid situations where we kickstart the construction drawings in advance of really knowing that we have a project approved. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're getting frustrated over situations where the construction drawings are maybe being started well in advance of conditions being solidified and, um, you know, even getting those started before city council hearings have, have taken place. And, you know, that just puts a developer at risk, um, in a big way. And, you know, it can end up being more costly if you're having for the developer, if they're engaging with an architect and then, you know, plans are having to be changed. And then of course there's work order changes and, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps for, from your perspective, it's double the work. Uh, although maybe it's double the payment too. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. There, there is that. You know, if you can get it, there is the added uh, fee, but I think it it still creates a problem uh, on that back end because you you're changing and there's a lot of pieces that have been added incrementally throughout the process that have to be kind of chased through. So it just it just seems like the time savings is questionable, in my opinion. If you look at the full scope and then the the costs, like you mentioned on the back end of all the work orders and, and those possibility for errors can cause more uh, costs later on as well. So,
2: From your perspective, when would you want the drawings started?
1: Ideally, it would be completely vetted through the, the builder uh, developer first and signed off saying that you know everyone that has an opinion on this project within the company... Um, has looked at it and is happy with the way that it is. And then you would go to the city, and this is completely ideal so, uh, scenario. <laughs> then they would go through the city process, uh, planning, uh, getting that approval. And then once they have completely approved it, then starting the construction documents. It appears to add a lot of time of kind of waiting around, but I think the the time of changing things it almost makes it uh, negligible when you kind of step back and look at the full scope.
2: Yeah, I think ultimately it would be impossible to get a group of developers or investors or builders uh, within a company to say, this is the end all be all. Mm -hmm. Uh, There won't be any additional variances because the reality is there's different inputs that we're grappling with as a project evolves and uh, different inputs from the city one Mm -hmm. right different inputs from an architect or a designer maybe not even the one that we've hired Mm -hmm. um different inputs from neighbors and so and then different inputs from the market you know as the market evolves or changes uh you know sometimes you have an idea for what a home size should be on a certain lot and then as you continue to research or collect information about the market and the viability of selling that home on that lot, you know, things may change and have to be further adjusted. So that's one example, but mm-hmm. your, uh your situation, what you've just described is of course, very ideal yeah. uh, and probably not practical.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's going to work at some point, but it's, it's a conversation that we can get in more detail at some point future point, but uh, or kind of continue the conversation. But in preparation for this, I don't know if you were kind of following, but a movie called Skyscraper actually came out recently with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes,
2: and if I have to watch the trailer one more time, I find it to be so jarring. (laughs) Like I just want to put earphones in and and like turn it off. It's so loud, and I just – I think the whole storyline – and I'm not an expert on it. I've seen the trailer, I think, twice. Yeah. Uh, because I was in the movie theater watching a different movie, and it's come on. And again, it's jarring. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, stop.
1: <laughs> so I was looking. I actually saw it.
2: Is it out already?
1: Yeah, it came out, I think, last week or something. But it was actually good. It, it's. I would suggest if you are afraid of heights in any way... Uh, you skip this one or watch it at home when you've had a glass of wine or something to kind of calm you down. Cause it, it had me s- sort of holding my breath on some parts just cause of the, the shots that they had, um, looking down and whatnot. But, uh, the, the funny thing is when I was looking up the, the show times for this, I stumbled upon Skyscraper from 1996. Just imagine the movie Die Hard, cut the budget by 75%, and replace Bruce Willis with Anna Nicole Smith, give her two to three doses of Xanax, and sprinkle in a couple scenes that are, um, I would say, softcore adult-esque.
2: Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: already happening and she is flying right into the heart of it the enemy is here they're gonna kill us for this briefcase there's a satellite tracking system could destroy an entire city it's headed for a third world country now go. we are the people's democratic liberation party You're standing between me and 1.5 billion dollars. Every five minutes I will kill a hostage until you return the case to me.
2: Wow. I did not know that existed.
1: Uh, I am. Did uh, you watch the movie? I am terribly upset that I did watch it. It was. It looks uh, awful. It is an awful, awful movie. I think it got a rating of 2.8 out of 10, and I'm shocked that it got the 2.8. Wow. It was really bad. We'll, we'll post that on our, on our website as well so you can, uh, enjoy. But we wanted to get into skyscrapers today. Uh, and the reason, uh, skyscrapers have been a development that has been one of the most innovative of all the project types. And it's potentially approaching, uh, an interesting crossroad. We'll talk a little bit about it, which, comes into play with the way that our society is right now and could be operating in the near future but to understand a little bit more about it you got to go back in time since ancient times people have tried to build high structures not just as an attraction to the sky but to get closer to the gods the great pyramids of Giza in Egypt Gothic cathedrals from the 12th through 16th centuries the Eiffel Tower the Washington Monument In ancient Rome, apartment buildings were built up to 10 floors high. In medieval times, many cities had high-rise urban towers built by the wealthy for defense and status. Land restrictions in the 17th century sparked a movement of apartment houses 11 floors or higher. Most early construction of tall buildings was masonry. As heights increased, exterior walls increased as well, reaching up to 9 feet in thickness, subsequently reducing usable space. Technological advancements of the 19th century made the skyscrapers we know today possible. Iron replaced masonry as the primary structural system and the Oriole Chambers in Liverpool in 1864 was the world's first iron-framed, glass curtain walled office building. Steel began to come in in the 1880s, uh, largely as a result of the improvements in the Bessemer process of, um, of strengthening steel. Cast iron is a less efficient material for carrying loads. Steel is tensile, strong. It's very good in, in a bending situation. Cast iron is brittle, and it'll break if you try to bend it. A process to convert iron into steel and the introduction of the safety elevator in 1852 by Alicia Otis opened new possibilities for construction. The first buildings to be called skyscrapers were buildings of steel-framed construction over ten floors, which appeared in cities like Chicago, New York City, Philadelphia, Detroit, and St. Louis. The first steel skyscraper building, built in 1885, was the Home Insurance Building in Chicago, Illinois, that had 10 floors and was 138 feet tall.
0: For many years, historians of Chicago architecture felt that the Home Insurance Building, designed by William LeBaron Jenny, was, was the moment, the moment when all of,
2: all of the right technical innovations came together to um, result in a skyscraper.
1: A surge in skyscraper construction literally cast a shadow over cities. City streets were covered in darkness. Setback ordinances were introduced to reduce shadow casting, where some buildings were required to step back at specified heights. This created a tiered look, which became known as wedding cake architecture. With a healthy economy in the early 20th century, there was a need for office space. Unfortunately, there was a scarcity of land. Architect Cass Gilbert said, The skyscraper is a machine that makes the land pay. Profit was the last ingredient to push the concept to new heights. The more tenants, the greater the profit. Skyscrapers became a symbol of capitalism and status. Soon cities like Chicago and New York, and even businessmen from companies like Chrysler and GM for example, began competing on who would have the tallest building. The Chrysler building was built in 1930. While observing the finishing height of the Chrysler Building, the owner of the Empire State Building pushed for the design to exceed the Chrysler Building's height. Topping out at just 2 feet taller than the Chrysler Building, it was decided a 200 foot mass would be added to increase the separation. Opened in 1931, the Empire State Building was the world's tallest building for 40 years. Unfortunately, these goliaths of skyscrapers opened at the start of the depression, and office space was no longer needed. Opening at 50% occupancy was borderline profitable, and the Empire State Building opened at just 23% occupancy, receiving the moniker of the Empty State Building. In 1972, the World Trade Center became the world's tallest building at 1,368 feet In two short years, Sears Tower, now known as Willis Tower, in Chicago became the tallest building at 1,450 feet and held that title for 24 years. Economic growth around the world brought new players into the skyscraper race, just as structural design innovation allowed architects to push the envelope even further. Petronas Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur narrowly surpassed the Sears Tower in 1998 at 1,483 feet and held the title for 6 years. Today's tallest skyscraper is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, finished in 2010 and stands 2,722 feet. However, it will soon be dethroned by the Jeddah Tower in Saudi Arabia, estimated to be completed in 2020 and designed to stand at 3,280 feet. While the skyscraper presented a solution to a problem, it became more of a symbol for economic growth, wealth, and status. As we continue to reach for the sky, we must carefully examine and consider the human environment. Furthermore, the relevance of these giants to the masses of our society. So one of the things about skyscrapers that I thought was uh really interesting. I want to get your, your perspective as uh, someone that kind of is on the front end of trying to make projects pencil and, and figuring out what's a sustainable project. Um, the economics, or economics, however you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, of, a, of, the, of a skyscraper, um, right off the bat, um, as I talked about in the history section, and which is kind of obvious is the the Florida area ratio. Um, When you're looking at the amount of land and the, the amount of leasable square footage that you can get when you get a building that's, you know, 15 plus stories tall, um, that would immediately, you know, increase the potential of profitability on a project. Um, But what, Michelle, in your, in your idea or kind of your experience, what are some of the big things that, that you look for to make a project pencil and in relation to a, a skyscraper? Um, any thoughts on kind of how you, how someone would have to approach that? Um, in, you know, things that you would think about, consider. Uh, In developing that type of project?
2: Sure. I mean, let me lead by saying that I am by no means an expert on the economics of skyscrapers. (laughs) I I wish I understood actually, because I find that using downtown Los Angeles as an example, there are so many great opportunities for redevelopment in downtown Los Angeles. And you find in downtown Los Angeles that the land is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it you know, can range anywhere from $10 million an acre to 20 to $25 million an acre. Compare that against an infill piece of property in a bedroom community in Southern California. Uh, if you name one, call it Huntington Beach or mm-hmm. Anaheim or Garden Grove, El Monte. I'm just naming random ones. There, the land may be worth $1 million to $3 million per acre, depending mm-hmm. on the product that's being proposed. So when you compare that to downtown Los Angeles, you say, wow, there's a pretty significant difference between the cost of land. Mm-hmm. But yet downtown Los Angeles is where you also see the highest density of development that's occurring yeah. via skyscrapers. Yeah. And so what I find really fascinating is, the, is this idea that the most expensive type of construction, mm-hmm. skyscrapers, which involves steel and concrete mm-hmm. and glass, uh, is being built on the most expensive real estate. Yeah, Um, And I guess the theory behind that is that you, by going vertical, therefore have more space to rent or sell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so theoretically you're capturing more than enough revenue to offset the very expensive cost of land and the very expensive cost to build. Yeah. Um, and so skyscrapers you see in downtowns a lot of times, yeah. uh, your city centers where there's quite a bit of density. Mm-hmm. Um, the other interesting thing economically that I think about is, uh, the components outside of the skyscraper. So parking, you know, mm-hmm. how do you park a skyscraper? And maybe we're going to touch on this at a later point in the conversation today, but, you know, parking in a skyscraper, you maybe can go a certain number of floors, where you pull into a garage and you kind of wind your way up. But at some point, you're not going to continue driving your car up 10 stories, right? Yeah. So if you're not in an area where you have a lot of public transit, what does that mean? Where yeah. do you end up parking? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're still on a surface lot adjacent to the skyscraper. Or maybe you're underground.
1: Yeah, they're. I think they're generally going underground. Um, and that's adding, I think, millions of dollars per level that you're going down. Um, so it's an attic cost. So there's a lot, uh, that comes into place when you're considering this type of project. And then one of the things on top of that is you have to f- foresee selling all of that space to, uh, tenants and banking on being able to, to attract tenants. So there's a lot of elements of, uh, attractability, um, you know, convincing that this is a, a good place to promote their business and just making it a, a livable, usable space. And then on the other part of that economic side is the construction. Uh, so when you're building a skyscraper, those floors basically have to go in really quick. So a lot of these projects, um, and we, harp, we harped on this a little bit in our offsite construction episode, Uh, This is directly applicable to skyscrapers. There's no other way to do it. Uh, It's all prefab modular elements um, that are built off-site and brought in, and you're kind of throwing it together like an erector set. Um, Some have a system that kind of lifts uh, up into place um, to basically kind of lay the plate for each floor as it goes all the way up. Uh, So the, the construction for these have to be really quick and then be able to start to to bring tenants in as soon as possible because um, you got to get the income to, to offset the, the cost of the construction.
2: Absolutely. I think the pre-leasing that goes into a skyscraper is months and months ad, in advance of the skyscraper being completed.
1: Yeah, and one of the interesting things I saw, that, um, and I'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, um, but some of these places, even though they have leased a space. A lot of occupants, um, or tenants take months, uh, to move in and they end up with a a lot of vacancy in some of the the newer skyscrapers, which is causing an issue. Um, and and again, I'll mention that or come back to that in a second, but, um, yeah, that pre-leasing is an interesting concept to have to sell someone on something that you don't have. And we're starting to do that in in housing, some of the small lot construction, the infill projects, um, just to kind of turn that around a little bit faster. A lot of uh, builders are going the direction of uh, doing a a pre-sale through 3D images. Um, Some even have kind of a a walkthrough with the virtual reality.
2: Yeah, that's become infinitely more popular. And as you know, if you're talking about housing, as we... Um, continue to be in a housing shortage in many communities across America and especially in Southern California and Northern California. uh, It's, it's become increasingly more popular to Mm pre-sell through virtual reality or 3d imaging and, and people are willing to put down payments uh, or make down payments because they know that they could lose the opportunity if they don't jump on the opportunity.
1: Yeah. So let's jump into kind of the trends and, and what's coming down the pipeline in the future. Um, starting off with safety. Post 9-11, there's a lot of safety things that um, have been instituted or, or adopted. Uh, you know, I'm sure, Michelle, you've probably heard in the event of an emergency, you're supposed to run down the stairs and not take the elevator.
2: Of course. Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely.
1: So now, I I
2: personally wouldn't want to be in the elevator. I I tend to have a slight fear of elevators. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that would be the instinct is to avoid the elevator. But after 9 11, they've started to adopt the thought of the elevator is the best way to evacuate people, the quickest and uh, most efficient way. So, what they've started to do, um, which I'm sure a lot of people have have noticed if you go into any uh, larger. Um, buildings skyscrapers is they have a, a elevator system of express and local elevators with these sky lobbies at different levels throughout the building so there's the express ele- elevator that skips you know 20 floors or whatever the case may be and then you kind of walk over and on that sky lobby floor they have cafes coffee shops uh, right. things like that and then you jump to the uh um, the local elevator that will take you to all the floors in between. Um, And the thought process behind that is that that express elevator can get a lot of people down really quick. Um, And on top of that, they have started to kind of locate everything as far as a escape route towards the middle of the building. Um, Because as skyscrapers developed, once they started to institute the, the steel and concrete system, the superstructure of the building moved to the inside of the building, which freed up the exterior to do glass facades and uh, make it a, a kind of a nicer building and increase the usable plate. So what they're doing now is ensuring that all of that escape route Pass elevators, stairs is located in that superstructure, that that strong core in the middle. And then on when they have done that, the elevator shafts are are pressurized now, which will control smoke. Because what happens is, you would think, and this occurs in in most buildings that are you know ten feet or so, is the the elevator shaft would basically turn into a chimney, is the thought, and smoke would rise and go out of the building. Right. But with these skyscrapers, because it's so many levels, it doesn't rise all the way to the top. It starts to permeate into other floors above. So what they are doing now is pressurizing that shaft to keep the smoke out and then diverting water away. Because once if, once water from sprinklers gets into that elevator, it starts to make the elevator go haywire. There's electrical issues yeah. and things <laughs> that happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that... The elevator shaft. The elevators have become increasingly more important.
2: So all of this reminds me of, and I had to look it up, the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. Where in that construction, and I imagine there are other skyscrapers that have have started implementing things like this, but um, they describe it uh, as highly compartmentalized, Mm -hmm. and so they have these, you know, from a safety standpoint, they have pressurized, air conditioned refuge floors. That are located throughout the building. I think in in the case of the Burj Khalifa, it's every 13 floors, mm-hmm. and it's a place where you know, in the event of an emergency, people can shelter within those floors because the reality of trying to go down 150 yeah. stories, yeah, uh, in a short amount of time may not be practical. Yeah, um, and so in that case, it's a place where they can shelter on their long walk down to safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the idea is not that they stay there in perpetuity, but every 13 floors, they have a little bit of refuge. Uh, they can catch their breath, assess the situation, mm-hmm. and then continue down if, if need be.
1: In some cases, they've even instituted a separate rescue uh, stairway to to avoid uh, rescue teams going against traffic of people that may be using the stairs to escape. And one of the interesting things that I saw when, when kind of doing some research is they talked about uh, previous code cycles where um, they were concerned about getting uh, disabled people into the building, but had no real thought of how to get them out. Um, We've always designed those places of refuge for uh, uh, disabled uh, individuals um, with the thought of someone being able to come up and, and, get them at some point, but in an emergency where people have to get out quickly and the rescue team can't get there quickly for some reason, um, which is another reason why elevators have become more important and sort of a preferred way to to get people out um, and protecting that that shaft and that that system. The other element is wind and seismic loads. So when you have this long, narrow... (laughs) tiny pole that comes out of the ground uh, the higher you are the more wind basically affects uh, Absolutely. The, the top levels right. and you want to the, the top of it wants to sway um, so there's all these uh, structural calculations to make sure that that building doesn't sway assess- excessively um, and that kind of moves me into my next point of, of trends going forward I don't know if you've seen any of the newer skyscrapers, but they're starting to have, um, so let's let's say the the Sears the Sears Tower for one, or Willis Tower. Uh, that one was designed with these, uh, the concept was nine tubes that were kind of bundled together and which strengthened the building like a, a bundle of sticks, for example. Right. Um, and it kind of narrowed as it, went up, um, went up in height. Uh, then they started with the, the Burj Khalifa, for example, is, uh, similar in that it's, uh, sort of a bundle and it starts to rotate the, the tubes start to rotate as you go up and narrow. And that concept, uh, with the introduction of, uh, advancements in software now, structural engineers are able to, to precisely calculate how to reduce the the wind loads on on the structure and because of that they found that a twisting motion of the building reduces the the wind load on the building and prior to this event like they've always like we've always could have done it but it it's an added level of complexity that makes it impossible (laughs) To, to do by hand basically. So with the advancement of this technology, they figured out a way to do it to basically, to make it more efficient. And one building in particular, um, which was a Shanghai tower. Uh, we'll, we'll post uh, photos of this, but it, it also kind of has this twisting motion. It almost looks like a um, garlic twist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. so, uh, so it starts to twist like that. And, uh, what they found is that it reduced the wind load by 24%. And that reduction in the wind load saved them $58 million on that project. Wow. In, uh, in structural materials. Uh, on top of that, there's, there's some energy consumption that, that you can gain with the arrangement of windows and, and things like that. So that's pretty crazy how innovative this project type has, has become over the years. and they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, every time when it comes out.
2: Well, and it's the concept of curtain walls as well, right yeah. that you that in modern skyscrapers today all have curtain walls or maybe they don't all have them.
1: Yeah. so when, once they came up with the uh, int- or once they introduced steel, uh, that's when that superstructure went to the middle and then allowed for the curtain wall. So the exterior of a skyscraper actually has no structural value. It's just, you know, just she- uh, shearing the wind load away and, uh, and just carrying all that glass that, that makes it more expansive. But uh, one, one point that I don't think many people know is the World Trade Center towers um, actually kind of flipped the, the design Uh, It was one of the only ones, I think, at the time, because everybody had gone to that, moving the superstructure to the middle of the building. The World Trade Center actually put it back out on the exterior. And if you, I don't know if you've seen kind of details of the World Trade Center. There's like these prongs that came down Mm -hmm. uh, to the ground on the exterior. That was that structure being reintroduced to the exterior And uh, one of the reasons that it was able to survive the first attack that was done on it, I think, in was it like '96, maybe or something? That's like in the '90s, I think. There was a a terrorist terrorist attack attempt. Um, So yeah, the kind of going back to uh, the history section with that competition between all of the the builders or the um, owners. So, like GM Chrysler, right? It became sort of a what do you call that competition? <laughs> uh, more about ego, uh, whose building is bigger? And I have this this thought that most millennials don't or aren't impressed by that that ego contest, and no one really cares how big a building is anymore. I don't know if you have any any preference. Would you be willing to live or work in a skyscraper? Do you have interest to live or work in a skyscraper?
2: So I think from the vantage point of convenience,
1: mm-hmm.
2: no. I don't think they're very convenient. Okay. Um, now, maybe maybe my position would be different if I lived in New York City or if I lived in downtown Chicago Uh, and was in a place where public transit, or maybe even downtown San Francisco, where public transit was readily available, and I didn't have to think about the car. Mm -hmm. But again, in Southern California, and even in downtown Los Angeles or Century City, the car is something we rely on, Mm -hmm. and the convenience element of having to park a vehicle in a garage that is underground and carry groceries or whatever my belongings are and then ride an elevator several hundred feet into the air. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just, and then, and then even arrive on my floor and then still have a hallway to walk down. It just just doesn't seem Desirable. desirable. Now is going to a skyscraper for work. Would that be interesting? Maybe, maybe it would be, you know, I think just from a view standpoint, you know, certainly the views that you get are, um, incredible and you know maybe inspiring in some
1: ways so so let me rephrase uh if you let's say you're looking you're back on the the job hunt and you're looking between um an employer that's in a skyscraper and an employer that's in it's
2: in a corporate plaza yeah. yeah it makes no difference to me in fact i remember when i graduated from college one of the positions that i was pursuing and this was 12 or 13 years ago one of the positions i was pursuing was in a downtown uh downtown los angeles skyscraper i forget the bill i think it was a gas company building which is okay. one of the more attractive newer um, skyscrapers at the time it was certainly mm-hmm. and it was not you know, it wasn't on my pro list of oh, I'm gonna you know this position is is better suited for me because it's in a skyscraper. It wasn't yeah. even part of the consideration.
1: Yeah, it didn't make it more impressive None. to
2: you. No, no, not at all.
1: One of the things, where I'm going with this, I don't think millennials are uh, you know swayed necessarily. And one of the things that you're starting to see is China, for example. Um, they're they're sort of going. Not against the skyscraper, but they're not um, fully invested in skyscrapers anymore, possibly. Um, Shanghai Tower that I mentioned earlier, uh, it's actually only 60% full right now. And two-thirds of the tenants that uh, have been uh, contracted aren't even occupying their space yet. Um, And one of the thoughts is that our society has made this shift lately where a lot of people um, are, their preference is a more flexible uh, work environment, where they can work from home or have some autonomy to, you know, not have to go into the office every single day. Um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurship is either on the rise or will be, is uh, the estimate for for our generation. Um, so they're not bullish on the skyscraper as a as an actual profitable project type in that way.
2: I, I do wonder though if that is different in different countries, yeah. where you know if you look at the top ten tallest buildings mm-hmm. in the world, fifty mm-hmm. percent of them are in China. There's mm-hmm. only one in the top 10 that is in the United States. And that's the uh, one world trade center. So the newly constructed world trade center. Yeah. Um, So I just wonder if that perspective that, you know, if you, if you ask that same question to a young Chinese student who was graduating from university Mm -hmm. and said, you know, is this attractive to you that you might have an opportunity to work in the Shanghai tower as an example, which is currently ranked second as Mm -hmm. top tallest right behind Burj Khalifa. Mm hmm. Would that be an important factor for that person? Because maybe that country uh, and those people place greater emphasis on uh, the status uh, symbol of yeah you know, being within a, a, a tall skyscraper.
1: Yeah, I think they. Um, I think in China they because the United States for a long time was sort of the mecca of skyscrapers and sort of the birthplace or was the birthplace. Um, so other other countries kind of came in once technology had reached its point. Um, so all the skyscrapers, they all went through that same competition uh, era within their own countries. So you have that, you know, s- sort of surplus of buildings. Um, and I feel like they may have hit that burnout level. Um, I don't know. I, I have this feeling that it, like you mentioned, uh, and I agree i I have no I don't place any value in in a skyscraper in that way of of usage. In my opinion, I think it will probably end up going towards more of a, a landmark kind of uh, tourist attraction route and uh, basically designing the interior more to um, events and sort of daily uh, trips, not necessarily someone living there or occupying it as much as an office. Right. But on the on the other side, there is the, we mentioned this project, the Hudson Yards in New York um, in our Smart City episode. Uh, that project, the developers sort of targeted millennials um, when they developed that project so it's more of a, a mixed-use uh, kind of facility. It's approached as more of a vibrant community um, geared towards public transit. And like I was mentioning, they they wanted to provide sort of limitless eating and entertainment uh, options there and uh, making it attractive to uh, innovative and, and tech companies. Um, so... I don't know. I think I think the trend is kind of going more towards a, a place to to be entertained rather than a place to occupy for a long period of time.
2: Certainly, in the way you know Hudson Yards, the way they market themselves, it, it's as though you would never need to leave. Uh, you could eat any meal at any point during the day. Yeah. Uh, you could you could reside. Uh, you could have an office uh, you could entertain you could shop uh,
1: trying to go for that kind of uh, a vertical campus sort of feel it seems like
2: yeah I mean and even on their website it says the new heart of New York mm-hmm. you know and they describe themselves as a triumph of culture and commerce and cuisine and a technological marvel that converges parks and public space so it certainly is a new model yeah um, and Again, works really well in I think high density areas,- mm-hmm. maybe not so well in in you know more tertiary or secondary markets mm-hmm. uh, in the u s
1: yeah so uh I think we we've hit kind of all the major points for this topic, but I wanted to take a, a quick moment to revisit the movies and uh talk about my top five movies that involve a skyscraper. So, I don't know if you've seen these, Michelle. we're we're, uh, we're going to test out your movie it, knowledge. Here's
2: the thing. <laughs> I I think that most movies that uh, include a skyscraper are an action film of some kind. Yeah. Maybe there's like the one-off romantic comedy where, you know, the couple meets at the top of the skyscraper and in fact, I think there is one. Is it Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah. Uh, where they reconvene at the top of the skyscraper yeah. so maybe that's my favorite okay. um uh, but yeah, action movies just aren't really my thing yeah. unfortunately
1: okay so i'm hoping you've seen one of these don't so- hold your breath <laughs> so we'll start uh we'll start with my my honorable mention and that is 1984 ghostbusters That one,
2: Negative.
1: okay. So, Ghostbusters is uh Sigourney Weaver, uh, and she's helping out uh, the scene in, in particular that I'm talking about. She's been kind of helping out the, the group, the Ghostbusters, um, and then she gets possessed at the towards the end of the movie, or she gets possessed like at some point in the movie, so they're trying to get the ghost out of her. And they end up on this building, uh, which is the 55 Central Park West building in Manhattan. It's an art deco building uh, built in 1922. And it is 223 feet. And the reason I put this in my honorable mention is it's only 19 floors. Or, yeah, 19 floors. So I, I it's not... What you would consider a skyscraper.
2: Well, maybe back in the day it is what you would consider a skyscraper. I was going to mention that, you know, the way that skyscrapers are defined has sort of evolved. Um, Yeah. You know, at at one point a skyscraper was considered 10 to 20 stories. Yeah.
1: So it counts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Compared to other ones, I I just slid it in as the honorable mention. So, number five uh, 1987 Adventures in Babysitting. Have you seen that one? Negative. Oh. <laughs> okay, so this one was in the Crane Communications Building in Chicago. Uh, it's a 1984, built in 1984, 582 feet and 39 floors for this one. And have you been to Chicago?
2: Chicago is one of my favorite cities in the U.S. Okay. Yes, so, I have. So which skyscraper so you, in Chicago does it take it's place? It's the in? one
1: that uh, it looks like it got chopped uh at the top. Okay. So it's yes, like right selenic- over
2: Millennial Park. Uh yeah,
1: millennium, the- millennium
2: Millennium Millennium Park.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, I think it's like right there. Um so the top of it is sloped in glass and in that scene uh, this little girl is getting chased by uh these thugs. I can't remember the detail of what what they're trying to Uh, catch her for i think she has like a magazine or something Uh, a magazine or something that they're trying to get from her but her parents work in that building and they're having a christmas party and she runs to the building to get away from the thugs and she ends up on the roof and she's sliding down that glass portion uh which was kind of a crazy scene for for 1987 so number four 1933 king kong Never saw it. <laughs> okay, King Kong classic. I don't even know. There, there's nothing to say. It's it's King Kong, but he climbs up.
2: I went on the King Kong ride. Okay, so at Universal so you Studios. know King Kong, of course.
1: <laughs> so he climbs up the Empire State Building. Uh, talked about the Empire State Building earlier. Uh, built in 1931. Uh, One thousand four hundred and fifty four feet and one hundred and two floors for that building Um, but he climbs up to the top and he has uh, I forget the the lady's name he's holding her and swatting away planes and helicopters that are trying to shoot him down
2: here's a fun fact about the Empire State Building did you know that it has moved down to number forty two the wow. tallest ranked building. So at one point it yeah. was the tallest. Yeah. I don't know what year that was. But today it is the forty second tallest building.
1: Wow. How the mighty have fallen.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I think it was uh nineteen
2: Maybe it was nineteen thirty one. That was the year it was built, so I'm assuming yeah. that they went in they they were yeah, It was, it was 19- constructed, and with a bang, they were the top, yeah. highest-ranked, or highest-tallest building.
1: Yeah, 1931, and I believe it had remained, uh, yeah, for 40 years, it had held the title and then got dethroned once uh, everybody advanced technology.
2: You know what movie also takes place, and maybe this is one of my favorite movies, so we've named, what, Sleepless in Seattle <laughs> and uh, and Elf. So oh. Elf <laughs> actually takes place, part of it, yeah. in the Empire State Building.
1: Okay. I will take that. There you go. (laughs) Honorable mentions. Number three. 2011, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol.
2: Never saw it. And along with the Skyscraper movie trailer that I keep seeing when I'm in the theater, the new Mission Impossible trailer is also out and is in the same reel. And again, jarring. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Zero interest. So I don't know if you could pay me to go see it.
1: So you have to have seen the clip, at least, of the ghost protocol where he's climbing on the no. side of the Burj Khalifa. No. And you know he does all of his own stunts.
2: I do know that he does all of his own stunts. It's
1: insane. So Burj Khalifa, uh, built in 2010, 2,722 feet, 163 floors and he's doing this stunt on his own. Crazy. Um, Number two, 1996, Independence Day.
2: Okay, I (laughs) did see Independence Day. Okay,
1: I knew you had to see Independence Day.
2: But I can't think of the skyscraper in that movie.
1: So it's the scene when they are destroying everything. They blow up the Empire State Building, and they blow up the uh, U.S. Bank Tower in L.A.,
2: I'm gonna need to rewatch it. I honestly cannot remember those scenes at all.
1: So that you know, the ships are hovering over each uh, city. Oh, and they shot. Yes, okay. uh, uh, Wash the White House, and then it blows up Empire State Building. I remember now. And then in L.A., it has all the the hippies. Standing on the yes. roof of the they're tower, they're dancing
2: and having a party.
1: And that that U.S. Bank Tower, um, if you've been to L.A. or seen photos of our sky uh, skyline, it's the one that kind of looks like it has a crown on the top of it. And they're all standing on the top of it, accepting the the aliens uh, with all this love, and then they just get blown <laughs> to smithereens. Uh, It's a brutal scene. I do
2: remember it. That is also a very good movie. Yeah. A classic.
1: Yeah. But my number one is the 2018 Skyscraper.
0: The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong.
1: It was really good. I, I must preface this by saying I watched the 1996 skyscraper just before I went to see it. So my meter may be thrown off a little bit. Because of how terrible the 1996 version was. Uh, But this uh, new skyscraper was basically about The Rock, uh, who is like this washed up FBI agent uh, who's turned into, um, started his own security company, and he's a third party consultant that is reviewing the security and life safety systems of this building. It's a fictional skyscraper. Uh, but it does by a
2: long shot. Cause isn't it like a two hundred and fifty five story skyscraper?
1: Yeah, but it's uh, and the, I, I and the tallest it's...
2: today is what one the fifty five.
1: The tallest today is uh two thousand. It's the Burj Khalifa, which is two thousand seven hundred twenty two. But I think they got some inspiration from the the new tower that's on its way, uh, the Jeddah Tower in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia which is going to be completed in 2020 and estimated to be 3,280 feet. So the one in the movie was like 3,000-something feet. I think I think they were 220 floors in the movie. But it's really cool architecturally. Uh, they implement a lot of energy-efficient things, like a, a wind turbine to generate electricity. They have this sky park inside uh it's really cool and just some of the the elements design wise inside i thought were really cool and it's one of the only movies that um really spends time inside the building and has all these elements and it's really about the building did Uh, your wife
2: enjoy it as much as you
1: she did not go with me (laughs) (laughs) so she has a a fear of heights uh she's like i'm not going to that (laughs) and she, I told her a little bit about it. She said, "No, I won't. I won't ever watch it. Not even on DVD." So, okay. So she had a it was a hard pass for her. But if you like that kind of movie, The Rock puts out good movies. So, uh I I would recommend it. I think um, for
2: a certain audience maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: probably. So, um yeah, we'll go ahead and, uh, and wrap up here then. And one last reminder, don't forget to fill out that survey for us. Check our website and any of our social media for that link. And we really appreciate you guys filling that out for us. Um, we'll skip listener mail for today. But if you have any movies that you'd like to, to contribute to the list, uh, any comments about skyscrapers, any thoughts, any, uh, I'd like to know if uh, if you would want to live in a skyscraper or, or if you find any value in working in one, um, shoot us an email, hello at spacespodcast.com, or you can reach us on social media, uh, spacespodcast.com, easily search us anywhere, and uh, thank you again for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it and forward the link to a friend. Your support is the only way that this show grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also check out spacespodcast.com under the listen tab for photos and notes on things that we discussed today. <laughs> discussed today. But before you go, next time on Spaces Podcasts
2: In the 1930s, as part of the New Deal, FDR created loan programs to help Americans finance their homes. But to decide who got those loans, the government created color-coded maps in which green neighborhoods were good and red neighborhoods were bad. This practice became known as redlining. Because of these policies, if you lived in the green neighborhoods, it was super easy to get a home loan.
0: All right, I can buy property!
2: But for folks in the red areas, no loans were available.
0: I can barely afford rent with this. There's no fair. The red areas are screwed.
2: Yeah, they were. And do you know why some areas were designated as red? No,
1: but I can guess. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks.